0: It's truly a blessing to be here this morning. I'm thankful to see you all here. I'm thankful to be here to share God's word with you this morning. Thank you, Jacob, for leading that song and um, kind of talking about our topic this morning of the great physician. Now, that's kind of a term that we use based on that song, not necessarily a biblical term calling Jesus the great physician, but he does Uh, Talk about this analogy, really, in Luke chapter 5, verse 31. And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So here we see Jesus really referring to himself kind of as a physician seeking out the sick. He talks about himself being the doctor that provides hope to someone who has illness and who needs help in a way that they cannot help themselves. And as he talks to them here, he says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners under repentance. He came to seek out those who were sick. Jesus came to do that for us. Now, who, who really needs a physician? Do you know anybody who needs a doctor or someone who needs to see the doctor? <laughs> I think that's pretty easy for us to think about someone who should go. Yet some also might be the person who is resisting going to the doctor when they really need to. Have you ever done that before? You know, what are some reasons why we might resist going to the doctor? Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is just pride. It's, you know, I can get over this by myself. It's just a bug. It's going to go away in a week or another week or a month or another month, and it seems to lag on. You know, I can take care of this myself. It's something that's just going to go away. Or what's that doctor going to tell me that I don't already know? I already know what's going on with me. What's he going to tell me? Well, there are other reasons why we don't go to the doctor. Sometimes someone might not go to the doctor because they're afraid. They're fearful. Maybe they think, I know it's bad, and I just don't want to know. I'm not going to be able to live a happy life if I know how bad it is. And then that might even lead to apathy, which is, what can they do for me? I know what's going to happen. It's, it's already bad enough where the doctor's not going to be able to help me. Have you ever heard anybody give you any of those reasons for not going to the doctor? How about in your spiritual life? Have you ever heard anyone give you those reasons for not coming to Jesus? Have they said, you know what? I know that I've got problems, but I can work through these problems on my own. Or have they said, you know, I've got so much bad stuff going on. I'm not going to go to Jesus. It's, I don't want to give up all that stuff. I don't want to do those things. You know, that's not really for me. Or maybe it's just apathy. What's the point? You know, what does it matter? What does Jesus, does Jesus care about me? Have you heard any of those reasons? And I think I've heard a lot of those things too. And I may have said some of those things myself as well. But Jesus is a great physician. And he's there to help us with the problem of sin. In Luke 5, verse 27, let's read a little ahead of the passage we just read. And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he left all, rose up and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there were great company of publicans and others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, What do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answered, said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So right after Jesus calls Levi, this tax collector, to follow after him, and he gets up, he follows after him, and he's so excited to follow Jesus, that he gathers this big feast together of all of his friends. And he gathers all these people together and they dine with Jesus and they're celebrating that he has started to follow Jesus. What a great thing, praise God, that he decided to follow after Jesus. They are celebrating these things, yet the scribes and the Pharisees, these Jewish holy people, you might say, they look on and they say, what is he doing in that house? Look who he is with, what is he doing there? Why is Jesus in there? And they look at Jesus and they speak illly of Jesus and they ask him straight up, why? And he said, because they need help. They're the sick. I'm the physician and they're the sick. I'm the doctor. I have what they need. You know, these Gentiles knew, Levi knew that he needed Jesus' help, didn't he? That's why he got up and he followed him and he celebrated it. He knew he needed Jesus' help. Yet these Jews, they look on, and they're completely blind to that, aren't they? They didn't know. This is a kind of a reoccurring theme in the early church and as Jesus is doing his ministry. In Acts chapter 13, verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, speaking to the Jews, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us saying, I have set thee, to be a light of the Gentiles that thou should be salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord and as many as were ordained unto eternal life believed. He says they offered this gospel Jesus came preaching these things to the Jews and he says it in a in a in a bad way here for them. He says that you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. <laughs> He says, whenever the Jews were presented with Jesus, they said, we're not interested. We are already God's people. We don't need this. Go away. Go to somebody else. What does he call that? He says, you're judging yourself unworthy of everlasting life. Now, sometimes we feel that way about somebody who's sick and won't go to the doctor, don't we? Yeah. You're like, you just don't want to live, do you? <laughs> you have a problem. You know you have a problem, but you won't go to the doctor and you won't try to get help. Yeah. Do you, you, know, you might call that person unworthy of life on earth, Right? They don't want to live life longer. They're trying to give that up. That's what he's calling them here. You're, you're not worthy of everlasting life because you don't want it. You don't want to take it. You don't want to follow after the Lord. However, it says they went to the Gentiles and they happily accepted that help. Now It kind of reminds me of some of the work we do in Nigeria. We're trying to increase the amount of, of medical type things that we can do in Nigeria. and We've done uh, successful successfully rolled out a lot of eye care type things and uh, got Dr. Terry Luce to come out and help us with that, and we're looking to add more things. And one thing that is so shocking about that work is that I haven't been to the eye doctor in a couple years. <laughs> That's the most shocking thing. <laughs> you know, I, I had LASIK one time, and, and then I, you know, I guess I'm good for life, right? That's how it works. But you see, there are people who long to have that medical care. They long to have the opportunity to be seen by a doctor and to have their eyes fixed and to change their lives in that way, I have that opportunity and it's free and I could do it tomorrow and I haven't done it. You could apply that to a lot of different kind of medical care in in certain parts of the world where they don't have access and we have abundant access to those things. That's the same pride that the Jews had. They had abundant access to God. They were God's chosen people and Jesus was presented to them and presented to them first and they say, no. I'm not interested. I'm okay. Look at me. I'm great. (laughs) Look at me. I'm good. I don't need to go to the doctor. And so he turns to the Gentiles. They receive him with gladness. They glorified the word. And it says uh, they were ordained to eternal life and believed. They accepted that. John chapter 2, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and he needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Now, that's a unique thing about Jesus as our physician, is he knows what is inside of us, doesn't he? He can see our intentions. He can see our mind. He can see our heart. He can know our actions, He can know all those things. Jesus, when he looks at us, when he looks at all men, he can identify the problem and he can take care of that problem. In Isaiah 59, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither is ear heavy that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? We have separation from God Because we have sin in our lives. And as long as that sin is in our life, it separates us from God. And it's not God's shortcoming, but it's that sin that puts that barrier before us. Jesus knows that we had that barrier of sin between us and God. And he came to tear it down. Jesus came and died for that. In James 1, verse 14, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished." Bringeth forth death. Jesus knows that when we have this lust and we're enticed, we let that lead to sin, and when we let that sin be in our life, it brings forth death. He knew that not only was this separation from God, but this was a death sentence. This wasn't just a mild case. This is terminal. This is something that is going to end our life. Bringeth forth death. Jesus knew this, and Jesus came for us. You know, whenever we find out that we're guilty of sin, we don't like to hear that news, do we? You don't have anybody who left the hospital excited that they found out that they had cancer. Any of you leave the doctor's office excited that you had gotten COVID? Nobody's excited to hear bad news, are they? It's not exciting to hear that we have a problem with sin. But the exciting news is that Jesus saw that and he has a solution. The exciting thing is that Jesus has said this is a simple case. We can heal this. This can go away. You can have eternal life. He has a, f- a treatment for us. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 15, here's the problem, though. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have closed. Lest any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. What does he say? He says, the problem is not that I can't heal people. The problem is not that Jesus cannot heal people. The problem is the people's ears are shut. Their eyes are closed. He says, if they would open up their ears, if they would listen to the word of God, if they would look and see, if they would be converted, then they could be healed. When we see death and sickness, when we see all these terrible things, Jesus can overcome those things. Jesus can do those things. We need to open our ears. We need to open our eyes. We need to be converted to that eternal life. That's what Jesus offers to us. So what makes Jesus qualified to be our physician? Have you ever looked up uh, your doctor on one of those websites that rates all of your doctors? You know, I had, um, when we moved here in 2019, that's one of the things you have to do when you move. Uh, it's in the same state, but it's still very far away. But you have to find all new doctors for everybody. And uh, I'm sure Katie spent hours and hours looking over pediatrician ratings and all the things that people say about them. And I know I looked into personal doctors, and I went to a couple. And and uh, sometimes the question is that the same guy that they were talking about over there on the website. But, uh, you know, we look for qualifications. We don't want to go to just any old person to take care of our illness. None of you are going to come to me and knock on my door and say, Levi, you know, I need my appendix taken out. Can can you help me out here? (laughs) It's not going to happen. You know I'm not qualified. You're not even going to ask. But what makes Jesus qualified to deal with our illnesses? What makes Jesus qualified to deal with sin? First of all, Jesus understands what our problem is, doesn't he? Jesus understands that we're tempted and that we're tempted to sin. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, And Jesus went all about the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. You know, Jesus saw these people and and he compassionately healed a lot of people. But what does it talk about when he says his heart was filled with compassion. Why was it filled with compassion? Because he saw all these people wandering around. It says, like sheep with no shepherd. He said, these people are clueless. (laughs) And it wasn't in a mean way. He looked at us and he saw how clueless and helpless we were. So hopeless to find our own direction, to solve these problems, to overcome sin. And it says his heart was full of compassion. You know, Jesus really cares He's not doing this because his father told him to. He's not doing this just because he wants to be great. Jesus is doing this because he cares. Jesus looked at us and he cared for us. We talk about bedside manner. Jesus had that. He cared for us. He's not just doing this for no reason. He's doing it because he truly cares. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that uh, he might be a merciful <clears throat> and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Now, Jesus experienced the temptation. Not only does he care about us, but he's been there before too, hasn't he? He's been through those temptations. He can relate. I think that's something that's so powerful when you see a doctor to help you with a particular health problem you have. If that doctor's been through it before, you know, really kind of uh, lends credence to their ability to, to help you with those things. And many times a doctor will suggest that you go to some type of support group of other people that have been through similar things that you're going through. Jesus offers that. Jesus has been tempted in all those ways that we've been tempted, and he genuinely cares for us. He understands what's ailing us in hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold fast our profession for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need since we don't need to slowly come up to Jesus and say, well, do you think maybe you can help me with this? <laughs> what does he say? He says, you can boldly come unto the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Jesus understands what the problem is. He knows what the solution is, and you can boldly go to him and know that there is hope. You can boldly go to him and know that you will be healed. You can boldly go to him and know that you can overcome. Jesus has done that for us. He cares, he understands, he can relate, and we can boldly go to him and know that he can help. What a powerful thing Jesus has given to us. What a powerful and great physician he is in that way. He certainly understands our illness. Jesus also has the power to heal us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus has the power to overcome your sin, has the power to help you with your problems? Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God commanded his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we now have received the atonement. The scriptures are telling us here that Jesus died on the cross for us while we were sinners. He died for us that we could be reconciled, that we could be atoned, that we could be made whole. He died to be the cure, didn't he? Jesus came and did that for us. We have life through him. He has the power and he alone has the power to heal us. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Jesus, in offering himself, Jesus, that one time that he gave himself, he hath perfected forever the cure, hasn't he? He did it the one time. It's good forever. Jesus did that. He was the only one that was able to do that. Jesus has the power to heal us. And best of all, Jesus has demonstrated that power, hasn't he? He has demonstrated not only that he understands our illness and, and can provide the solution, that he has the power to make the healing happen, but he's also shown us examples of him doing the very thing. In Mark chapter five verse 24, And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him, and a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the plague. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, he turned about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and I sayest, Who touched me? And he looked around about to see what had done this thing. And the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Now this is one of the few, not one of the few, one of the many, I should say, examples that Jesus gave of actually feeling someone, healing someone's physical ailments on earth here. And I think it's interesting at the beginning of this story... Um, in verse 26 it says, and had suffered many things of many physicians and spent all that she had. We find ourselves relatable to that as well sometimes. If you're not getting the right doctor, it feels like uh, they put you through all these different tests and all these different things that you have to suffer through. They take all of your money and you spend all this money to find out what's wrong. And at the end it says there was nothing (laughs) better. Maybe we can add that to the excuses for some of those folks that uh, refuse to go to the doctor. But you see, that's not what Jesus was about, was it? He was different. This lady it wasn't like she wasn't trying to figure out what was wrong with her. She had given her all to figure out what was wrong, didn't she? She tried to figure it out. She went for help, all different kinds of places. And Jesus she comes to as a last resort. She comes to Jesus and is healed. She has faith that if she could just touch his garment she could be healed. And and he says Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace, and behold thy plague. Many times we'll find ourselves going a lot of different places for help before we come to Jesus. For some reason, we find ourselves wanting to go to the world and find comfort in other things, wanting to go to these people over here for advice. When Jesus is standing there waiting, capable of healing us, capable of dealing with our sin, getting rid of that, Jesus showed his power and how he was different from the other doctors in this moment. Jesus also did in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all of Syria. And they brought unto him all the sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were a lunatic and those which had palsy and he healed them. So why did Jesus do all of these things? You know, first of all, we, we read that Jesus cared for people. He cared about this and he wanted to do these things. But I think the real reason really comes alive in Matthew chapter 9. We read in, earlier in Matthew, he heals all these people. In Matthew chapter 9, things really change. In verse 2, it says, And behold, they brought him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. In verse 3, And behold, a certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore, think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or say, Arise and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine house. Jesus shows what is more important. What is the real miracle here? Is the miracle, thy sins be forgiven thee, or stand up and walk? What's the real miracle? The answer is they're both miracles. But what a greater miracle it is to say, thy sins be forgiven thee. What a greater miracle that is. Jesus showed, I'm very capable to heal all of these problems that you people have. But the real problem that needs to be solved is thy sins. Thy sins be forgiven thee. That's the real problem here. What's easier to do? You know, if there was somebody who was legitimately able to heal the sick today, you think there would be a crowd around them? I think that they would uh, need more than Reliance Stadium to hold the people that would come to be healed if that was the case. Yet the greater of these two miracles, thy sins be forgiven, is offered freely by Jesus to us all today, to us all right here. Yet where are the crowds. Where are the throngs of people seeking to have their sins cleansed? See, people don't understand that. They haven't come to the doctor, have they? Their ears are closed. Their eyes are closed. We as God's people need to open their ears, open their eyes, share this gospel. The greatest miracle of all, the forgiveness of sins is available. And it's available through Jesus Christ, the great physician. It's here. It's now. It's for you. It's for everyone. Jesus has offered this. This is the greater miracle. He did all those other things and those were wonderful, but the true miracle is that the forgiveness of sins can be available to all mankind. So we see that Jesus is definitely qualified. He understands what our problem is. He has the ability to change those things, and he's shown us he has the ability to do those things. So what is Jesus' prescription for us? What does he want us to do? What does Jesus ask for us to do to solve the problem of sin? To heal our problems. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. You know, we talked about Jesus going through all the temptations that we went through, and what did Jesus do as he faced those temptations? The scriptures here tell us that even though he was the Son of God, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Jesus faced temptation and he learned it's hard to be obedient to God when faced with this temptation, but he learned that obedience through those sufferings and it says, and he was being made perfect. He made those decisions right every time. None of us can say that, can we? We know the suffering, certainly. We know the challenge of obedience, certainly we do. But Jesus knew that perfectly, and and through him doing that perfectly, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So Jesus became the cure for us. We know that as we become more like Jesus, that heals us, that makes us better. As we take on his blood, it forgives us of our sins. That heals us. Jesus found the solution. He found this prescription for us in Romans chapter 6, verse 17, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. So it's what saved these people, it says, was that form of doctrine. So what is that form of doctrine that we're asked to obey? That, the form of doctrine that was delivered to them. If we continue reading in Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should no longer serve sin. Right here, they describe that operation of God that's talked about in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 that operation of God where as we go down into the water in the likeness of Jesus' death, that old man of sin, it says, is put to death. The tumor is cut out, you might say. The illness is taken out. It's put to death. That sin is gone. It is cut out. And as you come up out of the water, you're clean in the likeness of his resurrection. Isn't that a wonderful thing that it's such a simple operation? I've had to have surgery a couple of times, and uh, I much would have rather been baptized, if you know what I mean. I'd much rather go down in water and come back up. And there are much smaller problems, too. But Jesus has given us this operation of God through his blood, that we can be washed in his blood, and that all of the sin in our entire body can be put to death and have hope again. What a wonderful thing. You know, we need to go to the doctor. We need to hear what the problem is we need to we need to hear the word of god don't we we need to hear that we have sin that's separating us from god we need to believe that jesus is the son of god we need to believe that jesus is the answer to our problem we need to believe when he tells us what to do we need to repent of our sins we need to repent of the things that are making us sick in the first place we need to put those things away and be focused on god the things that make us whole we need to confess to him. We need to be baptized, have this operation of God completed on us, and we need to walk faithfully towards him. We can do these things. Jesus has given us the plan. We just need to follow it. And that's the last part. How can we be a good patient? You know, it really doesn't do you much good to go to the doctor if you don't listen to anything he says and don't do any of the things he wants you to do and don't take any of the medicine that he wants you to take. <laughs> doesn't do you much good, does it? You just... uh. Had a copay go out the window and a couple hours of your time lost. We have to actually follow what the doctor asks us to do. We've got to go after the doctor's orders if we want to get better. It doesn't matter how often you go if you don't ever apply the things that they ask you to do. First of all, we need to follow the doctor's advice. In Romans chapter 6, verse 16, Know you not that whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. He makes it pretty simple. He doesn't talk about all the in-between states. He says there's two states, aren't there? Either you're a servant to sin that leads to death, or you're a servant of obedience that leads unto righteousness. What kind of servant are you going to be? It's very simple. It's very simple based on our actions. Are we uh, continuing to abound in sin, or are we seeking to obey God? Well, we know where they end up. Jesus has told us that. We need to follow his advice. We need to follow the path of obedience that leads unto righteousness and life eternal. We need to take the right medicine. You know, um, have you ever seen some of those medicine commercials? I think they're kind of funny. Um, None of it really has to do with any of the medicine usually. Maybe the target age demographic and that's about it. (laughs) Everything else is just kind of fluff. And my favorite is the last part where they talk really fast and give all the disclaimers. And my favorite one of all of those is the may increase the possibility of death. (laughs) Okay, what's this all about then? (laughs) Sometimes there are medicines advertised that advertise that it may increase your possibility of death. And why are we taking it? And that seems so ridiculous when placed in that context. But it's not so ridiculous when we look at our lives, is it? How many things do we seek out to solve our problems that just make us more comfortable right now? but actually bring us to death faster. How often do we do that? Do we seek out the comforts of the world or some advice that maybe makes us feel really good, but doesn't address the problem? leads us to death faster, doesn't it? We do that all the time. We do that every day. And some of us may take medications that increase the cause of death to solve some of our symptoms right now. You know, that's something that we do, but we need to take medicine from the right place. There's a lot of false prophets out there. In Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring unto themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. So there's people out there who are just going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to tell you these nice, beautiful things. And what is that doing? It says it's making merchandise of you. And where do those things go? It says their their damnation slumbereth not. You know, this uh, does not speak well of the false prophets and teachers here, does it? It's, It's out there. There's no question. It's out there. Are we following a false prophet, a false teacher? Because it makes us feel more comfortable and increases our chance of death. Are we doing those things or are we looking to the great physician? Are we looking to Jesus whose words might be hard to hear, whose actions might be hard to do, but we know that they lead to life everlasting? 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For if it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, then after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog returned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire." This can happen to us too, can't it? Whenever we're, maybe we're we're doing good for a while and we're following after God and we decide to come to him and to be washed and to be made righteous and to go after those ways. But so many times we see ourselves or others make the decision to turn their back on God and go back to the same things that made them sick in the first place. Go back to those very things that put them in the terrible state they were in. Has it ever happened to you? Has it ever happened to someone you love? It happens. And Jesus is always there waiting. Jesus wants to heal us. Jesus wants us to take the right medicine. He's told us what to do. He's given us the task. We just have to do it, don't we? We have to choose every day to do what the doctor asks. We don't want to make ourselves sick again. We don't want to go back to that. We've got to maintain our health. Have you ever had a doctor tell you to, to lower your stress, eat better, and exercise? <laughs> Is that easy to do? <laughs> they tell me that every time. Maybe, maybe you're, you're one of the few people who they tell to gain weight, but usually they always tell you to either lose or gain either one. You know, the doctors give you that advice, and, and that's one of those situations where I know it would be better to not be stressed. I know it'd be better to be uh, skinny. I know it'd be better to exercise every day, but those things are hard to do, aren't they? It's hard. And that's why they say that to every single person that comes through their doors. But you know, Jesus, he's got the plan. And Jesus shares that plan with everybody that comes to him, doesn't he? And some of it's easy. Some of it's very easy. And some of it's more challenging. It's easy, I think to come to him with a humble heart and say, I need your help, and to have your sins washed away, it's harder, I think, to maintain that lifestyle of righteousness each day, to choose God over self every day. It's a hard thing to do, but that's something that we've been asked to do, and that's something that will lead to eternal life for us. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so, uh, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Here he talks about the things that we consume, doesn't he? And he's giving this analogy to the food. He says, you're going to lay aside all these bad things, all these evil things, malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking. You're going to put all these things aside, and you're going to go where? To the word. You put all those things aside, and you replace them with what? The word of God. And he says, we long for the word of God like a baby longs for milk. Something that sustains us, something that we need, something we must have not just to survive, but to grow and to become a a fully grown and matured person. In verse 3, if so, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. When you start doing that, you know the Lord is gracious. You know that the Lord has provided. You know that the Lord is guiding you. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promises of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. He says whenever we exercise ourselves unto godliness, he says it makes it better for us in the life that's right now, and our eternal life that is to come. So we've got to have a good diet of the word in our life. We've got to be consuming the word every day. Have that as our fuel to sustain us and to help us to grow. And we have to exercise towards godliness. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, we've got to put ourselves in the right environment too. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind. For he that suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. So he says, arm your mind and tell yourself in your mind, I'm no longer someone that serves the flesh. I'm no longer someone who does those things, but I'm now someone who does the will of God. He says, arm your minds with that. Starting in verse three, for the time pass of our life may suffice us To have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, reveling, banqueting, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it is strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. So he says, You're going to make this change, and all these people around you that are still doing these things, they're going to think it's weird that you are not joining in. They're going to think it's strange that you're not living in these sinful ways, and you're not continuing to do those, and it says they're going to make fun of you for that. In verse 5, Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. So what is he saying here? He's saying, in order for us to be successful as a Christian, the first thing we need to do is to arm our mind. We need to make up our mind and repeat in our mind that I am not someone who follows after these lusts and these sinful ways, but I arm my mind and know that I am someone who seeks to do the will of God. I am someone who does the will of God. And whenever I see people, Engaging in these revelries, engaging in excess of wine and lust and lasciviousness and doing those things, I am not doing those things. And I'm not doing them to the extent that those people doing them look at me and know I'm not engaging in those things and they're going to think it's weird and they're going to make fun of me for it. It's not saying that I'm never going to see those people or that I'm going to go sit in my room or sit in a cave somewhere and never go in the world. So we're going to be out but the people are going to see that I'm not doing those things. They're going to make fun of me. And you will be seeking out the will of God and why are we doing this? In the the end there in verse 7, it says, but the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch under prayer. We're not waiting to do this until another day. We're not putting this off. He says the time is at hand. It's got to be done now. Have you ever known somebody who had a, a health problem and you know, it just slowly got worse, and they just wait, and they just wait, and they just wait. And then by the time they actually get treatment, it's a lot harder to treat, and it's a lot more challenging. I had a buddy one time who, he broke his thumb playing sports, and, you know, and, oh, no big deal. He just kept going, and it just kind of started hurting. and hurt a little up his arm, and got a little bit worse. And before you knew it, he finally went to the doctor, and they said, well, since you waited so long, there's been other damage. And he ended up having to have a cast with his arm straight like this. For several months. (laughs) when if he would have just worn a splint after the first week, he probably would have been fine. Ended up having a straight arm for months. You know, sometimes we do that to ourselves, don't we? Sometimes we do that to ourselves. We wait and think, well, it's going to be easier if I wait. It's going to be easier to deal with this problem if I wait. Or I'm going to give myself a little more time to take care of this problem before I go in for help. But he says the time is now. The plan is going to be the same. You need to take care of it right now. The time is running out. Be sober. Watch unto prayer. It guides us. We've made up our mind we're going to do this, and we're going to be sober and go to him in prayer to help us accomplish it. And we've got to do it every day. This is what we've been called to do as people who are seeking the cure, people who have been healed by the blood of Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to ask you to think about yourself. Think about your soul think about the sin that you have in your life. Who needs a physician? We all need a physician. We're all sick with sin. We all need Jesus. Jesus is qualified to take care of us because he understands our problems. He has the power to heal us and he's shown us he has the power to heal us. Jesus has asked us to obey God, to become more like him with our lives. And in order for us to do that, we've got to listen to him. We've got to obey him. We've got to Put away those false prophets and continue to listen to him. And we've got to maintain every day. We've got to make the decision that I am going to follow God today. We've got to do that to have eternal life. If you find yourself sick today, it's an easy answer. Go to the doctor. He's waiting. Jesus is waiting for you. If you find yourself sick with sin, go to Jesus. He has the answer for you today. Many times, the ways we try to treat ourselves and treat our own problems, those are dangerous, aren't they? And they could lead us to, to premature death even, and make it worse for us, but Jesus has a treatment. He can heal us today. If you find yourself already gone to Jesus, but maybe you're not maintaining, maybe you're making some unhealthy choices, maybe you're not putting yourself in the right environment, you're not putting the right food in your body, you're not exercising into godliness, and you need help doing that, we'd be happy to pray for you that you could increase in your health, that you could go to God and be a lively, active Christian that could bring glory to him and bring others to him as well. If you find yourself in either case, please come forward as we sing the song of invitation.